Hello and welcome to the True Blue LA podcast. I'm Jacob Birch. Eric Steven is here. Nothing happened in baseball this past couple of weeks. It's so January. I, Nothing ha- happens in baseball in January. All I know is the uh, MLB All-Star Game is at Dodger Stadium uh, this July for the first time in 40 years. Arbitration numbers and, were, were uh, ex- the yeah. deadline passed, so that's a little bit of news, I guess. But we don't know who's going to manage the American League All-Stars this year. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And that's, <laughs> we'll talk about why. And I, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you know why. But we'll go into like how, how a Dodger fan uh, is uh, reacting, how, how we're reacting, what we think about it. And then a little bit of offseason news. The old friend has returned to the team. We're, we have a, a, a um, Dodger Rewind I'm personally very excited about. And as always, questions from Craig. All that after this. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is this has to be the biggest baseball story of the break in January in a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> like we were talking about this like last year. Like the the two biggest like signings were yeah yeah that, uh, that took they the didn't happen until February or yeah. like late you know <laughs> so like yeah and like um yeah so the the we the, the funny part about this like we always talk about this we we sometimes struggle some with so, like a topic every week especially in the off season when like especially not, January and February like right, right so, before spring training gets going in earnest but after you know with last year accepting all of the free agent big free agent names have kind of been off the board that lull nor we can do one kind of like spring training preview episode but we can only do that once yeah so like we so we go every two weeks now in the off season because and with the caveat of hey if something big happens we'll do an emergency pod we have not done an emergency pod um so, like this, this episode was going to be about salary arbitration because that's like relative. It's relevant, you know, in a weird way, and we'll get to it later. But then, and then, like, oh, an old friend's back, and again, we'll get to that later. But then, like, oh, okay, the the hammer came down for the Astros. So, like, um, the MLB released their like report there based on investigation into the Astros electronic sign stealing, sign stealing, and they got like pretty significantly dinged, right? Like there, there's a lot of things about this that was like significant. Um, so the, my favorite part is in the report, uh, the word, the phrase banging scheme appears eight different times, <laughs> which is just wonderful. The, 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 whole, the, the whole point about this is like every, like teams have stolen signs for years. They, they generally do it with their eyes, but like anytime you sort of use technology and, 
uh, ways to uh, electronics to sort of skirt or make things more efficient or, or quicker. I think that's where you sort of lose the um, like the sense of competition in it all. Like, or I don't know, maybe it's it's not true competition or whatever. And that's where like MLB is trying to crack down on. And like they did a pretty thorough like interview uh, or investigation on this, but really only after the fact, only after Mike Fires um, put his name on on record uh, in with the Athletic in November. Because like MLB has sort of dismissed this in the past, uh, you know, they're like, God, oh, we didn't really find anything. And it really took Mike Fires like coming out for them to finally go, you know what? MLB is very reactionary. Like we have we have to sort of this is bad PR. We have to. OK, we'll figure this out. They interviewed 68 people, uh, including 23 uh, current and former Astros. So lots of people who are directly involved. The bottom line is this. The Astros were. Fine $5 million, which is laughably low, but it's the maximum allowed by the MLB constitution. I don't see any way this ever gets changed. Like a real fine would have been at least 50 million. Like it's a fine where it makes an owner go, holy shit. Like I don't ever want to pay this again. It would make them actually change. Now it just seems like, oh, 5 million bucks. That's it. While we're sitting there in, you know, in the afterglow of our first World Series championship, like, well, and the other thing is, it could be self-policing if you know yes. players had been disciplined at all, right? And then, so that's the thing. So they got twenty-three players to talk, and uh, it. I don't think this has been like official yet, but it's pretty clear that like MLB like offered immunity as for, to the players to talk, because otherwise, I don't think they would have talked. And if the players didn't talk, MLB, I don't know how much info they actually had. So that's sort of a weird angle to this. Um, but yeah, so the, the big things, the the, the um, measurable things the Astros lost, they lost uh, first and second round picks, this draft and next draft. And then like there's a caveat where if the Astros sign somebody and lose a first round pick like for um, you know, like a qualifying offer guy, then they would lose the next. They It's not like they couldn't. They can't like skirt around this. Like they're going to lose two first round, two second round picks, one way or the other. And if it just so happens that they sign a qualifying offer guy and lose a pick this year or next year, then that just kicks the can down the road. So they lose and like they lose the two, 2022 uh, pick at that point. But that's that's a pretty tangible thing. Like um, I don't. Uh, Fangraphs has a thing where uh, Craig Edwards in last April had a like a valuation tool, just sort of trying to reduce um, like a future value of, of picks um, back to like present day value. And given where the Astros pick, assuming they're still going to be really good the next couple of years, uh, their picks going to be like near the bottom of the first and second rounds. But like even that, those four picks are worth like a total of probably between 25 and $30 million in net present value. So that's like a huge thing. Plus it's, you lose development time. You're, you're technically lose like, um, Part of your signing bonus pool so even though you don't have the picks it it, it hampers your uh, ability to get like overvalue guys later because you don't have the money to pay them without significant penalties so that's that's like a big loss also uh aj hinch their manager jeff luna their general manager were both suspended by mlb for a year it's actually through the end of the world series so um, but then, like the day it came out, the Astros' owner Jim Crane uh, fired both of them. They were both under contract for a few more years. So, like, um, like that's one of those things where, wow, okay, that that was kind of stunning because it's like, okay, these guys' reputations are damaged. Then, like, um, okay, so back to the players thing, right? There's no uh, MLB said they're not going to. Um, find any players their logic was or at least in the report it's impossible to determine exactly um to like suss out which players did what and, and but this was a they defined it as a player driven scheme with the exception of uh bench coach alex cora uh, so um, that guy and so the and the only reason alex cora didn't get um uh, disciplined yet by mlb is because there's a current investigation going on to the 2018 Red Sox, uh, of which he was a manager. I saw something, I think Rob Bradford of WEEI in Boston reported data. I think the that finding or like that report's due out in like 
maybe the first couple weeks of February. So we'll get that. And it seems like the way this is set up that Alex Cora is going to get the hammer, right? Like the biggest hammer of all. But then to sort of um, get back to this, the Red Sox, the day after the report came out, fired Alex Cora. <laughs> so like, like there's, there's reverberations. Also, no players were mentioned specifically in the report except one, Carlos Beltran, who was in his last year um, and was as like noted as a um, like a key person in in the in the in the running of things, and like he was hired to manage the Mets, and then the Mets fired him before he even managed the game. So like, there's fallout of this, right? Like, um, the weird thing is like uh, MLB basically asked um, players, uh, or excuse me, they asked teams. They put a gag order on teams. It was clear. Um, the Dodgers actually released a statement, which is like the most passive aggressive, petty <laughs> like statement. I mean, I'll just I'm gonna read it to you verbatim. Uh, quote: All clubs have been asked by Major League Baseball not to comment on today's punishment of the Houston Astros, as it's inappropriate to comment on discipline imposed on another club. The Dodgers have also been asked not to comment on any wrongdoing during the 2017 World Series, and will have no further comment at this time. The Dodgers like, have been asked to not comment on the Astros being dirty, dirty cheaters. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, by the way, did we mention that we we lost the 2017 World Series to <laughs> cheaters? Like, it's like the it was that statement made me laugh really hard, and like. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at, and so but MLB, you know, can't really put a gag order on players, and there's been a lot of players like <laughs> outspoken, like you know, going like why why weren't these players disciplined? Like um, Trevor Bauer has been taking like a victory lap, which is like a little unsettling on a, on a, for a lot of reasons, but like because um, he's been like vocal about how the Astros are cheaters for years, but usually regarding pitching stuff, and so this is usually basically regarding. Um, stealing signs and and getting them for for batters, so it's a little weird. Mike uh, Mike Clevenger of the Indians, I think, uh, uh, said something to the effect, like in a video, uh, "These motherfuckers can't get away with this," uh, that kind of thing. Uh, it's and just a odd. little bit after yeah. this. There is a little like were the Astros wearing electronic devices on their shoulders, and yes. that that has less substantiation, but. The, you know, rumors are mill and who knows, but I think that was the announcement where uh, Cody Bellinger commented on, on it was on Twitter, on Instagram, Twitter, uh, just about how uh, they need their players need to be punished. That was the case. And uh, uh, he had he signed it this time when Alex Wood commented. I think he had. Right. Yes. It was right Alex after Wood. old friend Alex Wood, who we're going to talk yeah. about a little bit, uh, commented that he would rather face. A, a player on steroids than a player a batter who knew what was coming. Right. And so, and a lot of uh, players were like, you know, chiming in on that and saying they agree and like noted like, um, um, discipline pro, uh, Justin Verlander, who was very outspoken when he was with the Tigers on sign stealing and, uh, domestic violence, like abusers, notably silent so far, mm -hmm. uh, as a member of the Astros. So, yeah, uh, good times. The Astros are, are like literally baseball's heel right now. They had a fan fest over the weekend, and like uh, Alex Bregman had one of the the lamest um, like interviews I've ever seen. Like um, he was being asked about it, and he said uh, MLB did their report, the Astros did what they did, and then he like and he had this like canned statement, which was um, just total BS, and he kept saying it over and over again to like every single question. So like. Like they're acting like this is still like, um, I guess allegations. When in fact, it's clear now that they are officially cheaters, right? Like that's like it's on record, right? That's so I don't understand why you can't like address that part of it, right? So they're they're heels. They're going to get booed everywhere they go, and um, it's going to be interesting how this falls out. And I I'm very interested interested to see what the Red Sox thing happens because. Alex Cora was uh, okay. So back to the punishment for a second. Baseball basically said about AJ Hinch didn't really know what was going on. AJ Hinch was wishy washy too because he's like, hey, I, I don't really condone this. He tried to like, he smashed like the monitor or something like tw two different occasions trying to indicate his displeasure. Yet he's the manager. He still let it go on under his watch. So that's why he got suspended and, and then obviously fired. 
they said Jeff Luna didn't um, have much like any knowledge of this, so he wasn't. But just the fact that he oversaw such a rampant like misuse of of rules, like that's why he was gone. Alex Cora, they're like, no, no, he was part of it. Like he was <laughs> clearly part of it. So like, so I, I think based on Astro stuff alone, I think he's going to get suspended for longer than a year. Because uh, that's what those two guys got. So if there's anything in the Red Sox report too, uh, he could get like I don't know if it's going to be a lifetime ban or something like that, but it, it's going to be huge. And like the, the key thing now is like, you know, technically, I guess Cora will probably get suspended for the season, but Carlos Carlos Beltran can uh, can technically sign somewhere to manage or coach. Will it's just well, it's interesting to see once the year suspension is up for Hinch, once Cora suspension is up, will these guys get hired again? I think they eventually will, but it's going to be interesting to see how they're if they're treated as like pariahs or like how can you trust these people, um, or if it's more of a PR thing. Like, I think that's more of it. Like, owners just don't want to deal with that, <laughs> like, um, especially now they're kind of toxic, so but that's um what happened in the, and the Dodgers they're at the very least like lost to one team. Oh, the report did say that the Astros cheated into the, the, or soul signs into the 2017 postseason. So not just the regular season, but in the postseason that includes the world series. So if, officially the Dodgers lost to a, a, a cheating team then. And it, did they lose to one in 2018 as well? Uh, nothing you can really do about the past, but you just hope that MLB has a thing going forward where it makes it, uh, more difficult for this to happen. All right. You want to move on? Yep. Alex Wood. I correctly predicted by me two weeks ago. And they That's only, joke, they, but... they signed him at a huge discount. <laughs> That's like right. They, I they... had him at 50 million for one year just so yeah, they would so hit the, uh, the threshold, the tax threshold. He got, he got sort of a, uh, a Kenta Maeda light, uh, contract, uh, $4 million guaranteed one year deal. Uh, he can earn up to six million dollars in bonuses. Um, so the there's part of that's innings, part of it's like appearances. But in, instead of like a lot of old old like contract incentives had either games or starts, his is games, but uh, they're appearances of ten plus outs. So I think this is like I don't know if this is going to be the standard going forward, but I think it's like um, it's language to like avoid like if you're if your team uses an opener and like you're the bolt guy after like uh, so it's a way to sort of like, look, I'm really the starter, like that kind of a thing. And I think that's the expectation at least, but it's just interesting wrinkle how that was written. Uh, the thing with wood last year, like he, um, he only made seven starts with the reds. Uh, he was bad. Like he allowed 11 home runs in uh, just under 36 innings. So and like, keep in mind, in his four full seasons uh, with the Braves and the Dodgers, like he he allowed 16, 15, 15, and 14 home runs. All of those in seasons over 150 innings pitched. So like, to allow 11 home runs in that few of innings, something was off. He had a back injury in spring training. He didn't really uh, he didn't pitch for the Reds till late July. He was scratched September 3rd uh, with lower back soreness again, then shut down for the season. So it was like a lost season in Cincinnati for him. But looking now, he's back um, with the Dodgers, so uh, we'll see how that goes. You and I, when he, Alex was on the Dodgers, you and I were were little little stands for him, right? Like we always kind of had his back as a, a very reasonable option. I think during 2017, as a worthy contributor, um, as as the fourth starter, which he he proved us correctly on. Uh, um, another pitcher. This is my this is my segue uh, that I have been uh, standing for a little bit. Uh, the previous season, no longer on the Dodgers. Casey Sadler designated for assignment and then traded to the Cubs. Yeah, uh, ERA plus uh, near champion. Uh, obviously, nobody can compete with Russell Martin, but Casey Sadler had a good year in limited time uh, with the Dodgers. Even if the peripherals didn't necessarily suggest that it was sustainable, but he he did what he did and he was good. He also was, um, uh, I believe, optioned. Uh, it was either nine or ten different times last year, uh, up and down to the minors. So I always sort of have a soft spot for those kind of guys because that's an insane year, right? To go through that, but then so they traded Casey Sadler um, 
to uh, or yeah to the Cubs, and then they got an infielder. His name is Clayton Daniel. So the Dodgers have another Clayton, and not a guy, a double first name. That's right. Uh, we, and as we've shown, people with two first names are very trustworthy. And yeah, exactly. Um, so, but this guy, he was a 31st round pick in 2018. He's old, though. Um, turns 25 in May. He played uh, single A and double A last year, only 67 games. He had a good uh, on base percentage. He hit uh, 305 with 397 on base, more walks and strikeouts. Um, infielder, mostly second, some short, a little bit of third. Not much to see there, I don't think. But yeah, that's that's who they got for Casey Souther. One more note on Wood. Um, the Astros only lost one home game in the 2017 postseason where they um, sort of had their uh, system in place at home. of signs, And the one game they lost was started by Alex Wood, game four of the World Series. Who noted that he was changing his signs up uh, every eight or so pitches, I think he said. Yes, yep, exactly. Uh, under under suspicion. And I wish he had told you, Darvish, to do the same. Great. He, you you might have been pit, tipping his pitches in other ways. Who knows? I I love you, Darvish. He's been my. I've followed him since he was a uh, uh, a star in Japan. Uh, we've talked about it here before. I'm sad for him, uh, and especially so after these revelations. He, he's also handled like his sort of failure um, in that World Series with, as like as good as I've ever seen anybody mm-hmm. handle it, and like it, he's been like great. So yeah, always. We'll always sort of root for him as a person, uh, you know, uh, and a baseball player. So, yeah, perfect. Well, we've got some uh, business to take care of, but then we're going to talk the business of baseball, arbitration, one of your favorite subjects, I know. I think you have an extremely mean trivia question for me uh, regarding arbitration that I am going to fail horribly at. All that after this. This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. So I I confuse this every single year. I think I text you every single year about this. The deadline that just passed is for what what deadline did they just pass? Because the things players can still settle, players and teams can still settle, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, the way salary arbitration works, like the hearings themselves, if it gets to that, are not until February, and they they're not even scheduled until like closer to then, when like um, if it becomes clear that a player and a team still can't reach a contract. I think there were something like, I want to say, was it 50, uh, 53, maybe players. I think I even wrote it in the show notes. So maybe I should just look down. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I think like, um, yeah, like there's so many players like um, 52. Yeah. 52. Okay. And, but like, and like, so they, the last, the, the date, that just passed was the exchange date, which is when, you know, these p- teams and players have been negotiating for a little bit. Like, it's not like an ongoing thing. It's not like they it takes all off season. Right. But like um, mostly this last week that um, when it, when it happens is when most of the negotiation happens. And uh, it, when it gets down to it though, they both have to submit a figure, the team and the player. Um, and then if they can't agree, uh, up until February, uh, then the arb- if an arbitration hearing, uh, they they each side states their case to a three person panel, and that panel chooses one figure or the other. So the system is designed to get the team and player to meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, it doesn't always work that way, um, but yeah. So um, and the other thing that sort of complicates this in recent years. Uh, Andrew Friedman with the Rays did this and the Braves are like early adopters of this, but it's become more prevalent is file and trial or file and go. The concept that um, a, a team as a, as a club policy, like the Dodgers have a policy of not handing out uh, no trade clauses, right? It's not an MLB rule. It's just something they believe in. And this is similar to that. It's not a rule. Technically teams and players can still negotiate Generally, 
uh, Andrew Friedman has been, uh, if we can't reach an agreement by the um, exchange date, we will no longer negotiate and we'll proceed to a hearing. Like, you know, the the premise behind it is roughly like, uh, Andrew Friedman addressed this like back when he was with the Rays. I've talked to him briefly about it since, like nothing really new there. But it's essentially like the, I guess the old feeling was like, or, you know, agents and uh, and teams would like game the system a little bit and try to like negotiate to get to a certain number for the exchange date and then keep negotiating for a high number. And like this, he's they're trying to like head that off at the pass basically and get like an actual negotiation going to where they could try to get a deal up to the point um, of the exchange. But it's really like, it comes when it comes down to it. It's really just stubbornness. Like some of these, like um, the differences are very, like tiny relative mm-hmm. to like the actual salary. So like I don't know. It's a weird thing. The Dodgers have not had an arbitration hearing at all um, since uh, Joe Bimel in two thousand seven, and we'll get to him later. But um, the I don't know. It's weird. Like. Uh, they under Friedman, um, they haven't even had players exchange salaries uh, because they they've gotten to agreements with all the players by that date this year. Four players did not agree um, uh, to deals just yet, so they could potentially have up to four hearings. But that's if they stick to the policy and refuse to negotiate. But we'll get to that. What they did do is sign uh, one, two, three. Uh, what is it? Yeah, five players signed deals. Uh, the big one, obviously, was Cody Bellinger. Uh, one year, $11.5 million. That's basically in line to what, like, I think MLB trade rumors had him at 11.6 as their projection. Uh, so that's a record for, like, a first-time Arb eligible guy. He's a super two player. We talked about this before. Chris Bryant and Ryan Howard both won MVPs before their super two status. And both set records at the time. Uh, Ryan Howard made um, uh, $10 million in 2008. Chris Bryant made 10.85 in 2018. And so Bellinger's at 11.5. He set that standard. So uh, Ryan Howard made $64 million through his four RB years. Uh, Bryant is up to about 42.3 through his three. And he has another one. Well, <laughs> he also has his grievance, which is supposed to be decided relatively soon. Uh, he could technically be a free agent at the end of this year if he wins that grievance, but otherwise he'll have another RB year next year. So, like, that's where we talked about uh, as a possibility of, like, a Cody Bellinger contract extension, how it might look. At least we have an idea through those years. But so Bellinger's sort of on that path. Uh, Corey Seager signed uh, 7.6. PK was 5.9 million. Stripling, 2.1 million. Um, and then uh, uh, Julio Urias was a million. And then so if you look at uh, all the, the contracts they've signed so far, um, like, oh, we'll get to that. I guess there's four players, like, who have, like, a midpoint in their um, – the team and the player uh, number. So if you count Alex Wood and if you count the midpoints of the four who haven't yet signed, uh, the Dodgers payroll – Right now, it, the CBT number is roughly at 173.8 million. So, like, they still have another. We talked about this before. Like, Sandcastle said they're going to get to that CBT threshold or possibly above, and that's 208. How are they going to spend that other 35 million? million. And, and that's even, I, I even, in this case, I accounted for um, the minimum, roughly minimum salaries to fill out the roster. Uh, that's like accounting for like everything as is. So uh, yeah, like I'm anxious to see how this goes. And it'll be interesting. One interesting thing is that uh, I forget what piece it was. It might've been somewhere at the athletic. You, you, you might know, but pointing out that the, in the interview, he said it would, the roster going into the postseason would be uh, closer yes. to that number and more competitive. So, well, you know, perhaps the Red Sox bottom out and they, they at, at that point, they're more eager to trade Mookie Betts. Perhaps the Indians do it as well. Um, but that said, and we'll get into this probably in two weeks, which I think will be our spring print training preview episode, bearing any big news. 
Um, this is looking more and more like the team they're taking in the spring training and, and looking like your opening day roster. Yeah. The, the, the other thing is like that, not uh, that many people are left, uh, teams in terms of free agents, Josh Donaldson signed with the twins. Um, the, um, yeah, like, uh, uh, just an update on the Red Sox thing. I believe it was Buster only who uh, reported this on Sunday, uh, that the asking price for the Red Sox for Mookie Betts was that they would take on either, I believe, David Price or possibly Nathan Eovaldi's contract and with, like, little to no money paid down. So you're basically taking on that and uh, two, like, high-level prospects. So that's prob- that's definitely where, like, the scuttlebutt is If in, in any sort of Dodgers trade talks. Like, they're not going to give up, like – Gavin Lux, right, in in any of those deals, especially if they have to take on David Price. But, like, it's just a matter of, prob- like, haggling over what those two prospects would be. So, like, you can see why no real trade has happened. Um, but maybe that goes down to one A-tier prospect, you know, if the deal happens more like July than right now. Who knows, yeah. right? I don't know. And, it, and a lot of that will depend on how much leverage the Dodgers feel they have, depending on how the Red Sox are doing. So yeah, we'll see. another one of those things too. Like you remember, like they, they would still, I think, I don't know, like keep in mind mid season additions, right? You're basically July trade deadline. You're ba- is basically a third of the season. So even Mookie Betts, who I believe is making, what is he? Is he he's either 27 or 28 million? I can't remember the exact number. Even that you're looking at nine to 9.3 million. Uh, in taking him on the rest of the season. And I guess uh, David Price would be roughly that. So even a, if they happen to add Price and Betts, like on July 31st, like that doesn't quite get them. Yeah. They, they still have 15 million more to spend. And and he did backtrack. He's like, we'll, we'll be well over it. We're a little close to it. But that's the level of deal they'd have to do to get yeah. there. So like, there's a lot of creativity still to be had. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to go over this, the details of the, the arm numbers, but the four players unsigned, Jock Peterson, Chris Taylor, Max Muncy, Pedro Baez, the smallest uh, percentage difference in between the team and the player is Baez. Uh, he he um, submitted four million. And the Dodgers had three point five. So the difference there is a fourteen point three percent difference. I went back and looked through every instance of the Dodgers in arbitration. Uh, there's been twenty cases. The arbitration started like in the seventies. Um, um, it happened a little before free agency. Um, the first case they ever had was Ron Say in 1974 and keep in mind like he uh god what was his thing he um he wanted 56,000 and the Dodgers countered at 47,000 to give you an idea of what the stakes were at the time <laughs> like how different it is and like um yeah so and then like and he won that case so that was the smallest difference percentage wise in Dodger like arbitration history if any of these cases go to an arbitration hearing, they'll. Um, I think um, two of them are smaller than that. Like Baez's difference is fourteen percent. Uh, Max Muncy's difference uh, is sixteen point nine. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I was I was incorrect. Chris Taylor actually has the smallest difference. He's ten point five percent. So he requested five point eight. The Dodgers are five point two five. So we're talking like very. I mean. It's one thing to say like, um, what five hundred fifty thousand is like no big deal, but it kind of isn't. Like in this, like you'd think they could meet somewhere in the middle, but it, if they're stubborn enough to go to a hearing, it, it's it's over a, a relatively small amount. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But that's that's sort of where the Dodgers are at right now. Um, yeah. So you mention it. The, the last the Dodgers haven't done this in twelve years. Is that right? Uh, thirteen, yeah, thirteen. Oh, it's yeah. twenty twenty now. Did you Happy New Year, Eric? Right. I was. Yeah, exactly. I saw you on 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 New Year's Day, and I somewhere buried in here was it. You highlight in red in our show notes anytime you're going to ask me a mean trivia question, and I know mm-hmm. that's somewhere in there. What, what what you got for me? Okay, so before I say that, so yeah, Joe Joe Bible, we'll get to him. He's actually a Dodgers Rewind spoiler alert. Um, 
he was the last time they went to a salary arbitration. That was 07. They almost did with Andre Ethier in 2009, getting back to the system again. Uh, he had submitted a number of the Dodgers. You know, he submitted 3.7. The Dodgers wanted 2.65 million. Just before they were going to go in their hearing, literally at the building itself, I think in Phoenix, uh, the two sides reached an agreement uh, on 3.1 million, just shy of the midpoint that year. That's that's like an extreme case of like close to the line, but like that's generally how it sort of goes in this. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see if that happens. But yeah, my question to you: so the Dodgers have had um, they've had 20 arbitration hearings in their history. I mentioned that. Um, there's actually only been seven in the last 30 years. So like they just, and only three this century. Um, can you name the last Dodger to win an arbitration hearing against the club? Okay. So am I correct in that this is pre Kim Ng? Yes. Okay. Um, was it in the nineties? Um, it was not. Oh crap. <laughs> uh, was it in the eighties? Uh, it was not, although I could tell you the last um, the last Dodger to win before this person was Oral Hershiser in 1986. So that he that was going to be my guess. So, um, <laughs> uh, I man, uh, no, I'm not. Gonna, I, I, you're 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 talking before I was born, Eric. Is, okay. Am I correct in saying that? <laughs> no, no, no. Because you said it, if it was in the nineties, and I said the the last the last person before this was in nineteen eighty six. So it's it's actually sooner than that. Okay, okay. Sorry, I thought we were going even earlier. I, I misunderstood. No. You. Yeah. Um So it was one of the three. So it's so it's between it's before Kim In, but in this century. Yes. Ah, uh, okay. That's where I uh, that's where I was getting this place. Okay. So crap. <laughs> um. Let's see. Yeah, I I need one more hint. Huh. I'm trying to think. Uh, Some of this I, is a stall tactic while I think it's a, a, a clever name. Oh, man. Do you remember? I believe <laughs> I believe his name was Jose Nunez. He was a Rule 5 pick from the Padres. Do you remember him at all? Vaguely. I, I, this player who won the arbitration hearing a few years earlier uh, was very vocal against having such a raw and inexperienced pitcher pitching in games that matter for the Dodgers that April. <laughs> uh, no, I'm tapping out. You got, you got me. Terry Adams. Oh yeah. <laughs> Zero. Per- yeah. Not a name that was going to come from my Rolodex. So I'm glad we in, skipped in that. 2001. He was like a swing man for them. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he, so this is re- so 2001 uh, and 2002. Those were the years where, I stopped getting upset that baseball was on instead of like the Simpsons or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, fine, I'm going nice. to watch this. And I slowly learned the name, pa- learning the name Paul Quantrill was the moment where I realized I liked baseball. So, uh, before, before my time of expert precision paying attention. So kudos, Terry Adams, you stumped me. Ha. Okay. So that's, that's good. So do, what else should we know about arbitration week before we sort of move on? We'll have updates, like you said, on those four players on whether or not it's act, at an actual hearing, which would be like, I hate the I hate the idea of arbitration. I get why it's in place, but it feels like an arbiter should also just be able to pick the middle number as opposed to just pick one of the two sides. Uh, so I, I hope they settle uh, just because it like it feels like no one wins when it goes to a trial. Uh, sure, the the team is saving tiny, tiny amounts of cents, but the players, I, I would assume, feel bad because we talked about this. Because most of the time, when a hearing occurs, it is just the team telling the player and their agent um, why they think they suck, or right. why they don't think they're as valuable as they think they are, and that's can, not good. It can be very caustic, but like also at the same time, uh, it's it could also be it's pretty professional too. Like not everyone takes it personally. Uh, I looked up the numbers. We the fifty-two players was actually it could be for the last three years. So this year, twenty players exchanged numbers, which is still a high number. However, like I think part of this has to do with like the looming like CBA, sure. uh, and like the players are like gearing up for fighting basically. And so in a weird like in an odd, it's like more of a solidarity type thing than anything. I think um, that um, players are like tired of um, 
sort of accepting uh, what the algorithm says they're worth, <laughs> I think. And we've seen that in a lot of free agent cases the last couple of years where certain players, are, uh, they all they, they happen to say get like three contract offers that were almost identical, like on like the same day. And, they're, you know, when uh, some of the collusion talk was going around and it's like, all right, like we're just, we got it. We're tired of this. Like, where's the actual free market part of the free market? Again, arbitration, not on the free market, but same sort of process. But yeah. So like, if you look at it, it, if uh, George Springer, uh, oh, this, this ties into the cheating. Um, so he, he had the, one of the larger numbers, like I think his was like 22 and a half million and 17 million or 17 and a half million were the two numbers they submitted. And I think he agreed at somewhere in the middle. I forgot the exact number, but the AP story on George Springer, like agreeing to a contract with the uh, Astros was George Springer, world series MVP of the tainted 2017 Houston Astros comma, like did this I'm like, wow. Okay. So that's like, it's a canon now that, that the Astros uh, cheated in, in 2015. But so I think like, but if you look, you know, so recent years, I went and looked this up um, from, okay. So uh, there were a single digit number of arbitration hearings in 12 out of 13 years from um, 2005 to 2017, there were zero hearings in 2013. So there, uh, the system was like working, like you don't player, they're finding ways to in the middle to like do contracts. 2018, there were 22 hearings. Uh, 2019, there were 10. This year, there's probably going to be like 10-ish or more. So, like, that's a sign that the players are like willing to fight. I, that's kind of all I got on this, but we'll see how how that sort of um, happens. I, I'd like to think that the Dodgers aren't like so beholden to this like policy that they wouldn't still negotiate, especially with some of the differences being so small. But that's kind of where we're at, and um we'll see we'll see exactly how how that happens okay we've got dodgers rewind already spoiled joe bimel who i'm very excited to talk about uh bobblehead recipient i i own his bobblehead somewhere hopefully my mom didn't give it away uh and then we've got questions from craig after this last commercial break joe bimel what a hero he is uh he really was uh like i'll <laughs> I sort of remember him for his robe. Uh, he had the Dodgers jersey robe that like had Bimal '97 on the back. Like it looked like a jersey, except it was a robe. Like it was a it was a great piece. He I think he had it like celebrating uh, the or going to the playoffs in '06. I believe he was wearing it. So he was the last Dodger to go to an arbitration hearing. It was February 2007. That was when Kim Ang was the assistant general manager, and she sort of handled all that stuff. Her most famous ARB case was uh, Eric Gagne, um, who uh, well, in uh, this was after right after Eric Gagne won the Cy Young, he asked for like five million, or I'm sorry, he asked for eight million dollars. The team went for five. Like that's a huge difference. Like that's the normal kind of spread we see in this. And the the Kim Ang argued for the club, and her argument was like too too much too soon, like in terms of his service time and stuff. The team won that case. Um, they also won the case against Joe Bimal. Bimal asked for 1.25 million. He was a lefty reliever, um, and the club offered 912,500, and the team won that case. Um, so he pitched for um, the Dodgers for a few years. He had uh, in three parts of three years, uh, 304 ERA, 145 ERA plus, so pretty good, 378 FIP. He, okay, so he led the game, or I'm sorry, he third in the NL with 83 games pitched in 2007. 83. He was the last Dodger to appear in 80 or more games. There's only been four other uh, LA Dodgers to pitch in that many games in a season. Can how many of those can you name? So I'm proud and embarrassed by one of these names because um, uh, during our commercial break, I actually did Google his name, not because. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure I was right before I said it, but because I didn't want to get the name wrong, I think yeah. I was afraid of saying Gary Marshall instead of Mike Marshall. So I had <laughs> to double check myself. But I think somewhere in my brain was lodged where we talked about like Ironman relievers before, and that was lodged in my brain, even though it does very much predate my knowledge pool. So these are happy days indeed. Um, 
<laughs> You're welcome. Uh, because yes, Mike Marshall was one of them, and I should correct myself. It's not L.A. Dodgers; it's Dodgers. No. Oh, cool. screw no, you. <laughs> nobody, nobody in Brooklyn ever pitched 80 games. Oh, okay. That's um, what I say. You're gonna find some. I know it's yeah. three finger brown. Oh, no, yes, I wasn't. Yeah, it's a Addy Joss or you know something. <laughs> like that. No. Um, so yeah, Mike Marshall, 106 games, uh, still the record for any reliever. T- 208 and a third innings as a reliever in 1974. <laughs> just ridiculous, right? He finished he finished 83 games. Like and like oh, what a what an amazing year that was. Okay. So, uh I will uh, the hint I will give you one of the other three Dodgers to pitch in 80 or more games did so the same year as Joe Bimel and pitched in the same number of games. <laughs> Okay, so um, that's interesting. Uh, so one name I was going to throw out that I think is wrong, but I wanted to say the name. Speaking of players that I kind of learned how I learned baseball, uh, Guillermo Moda. Nope. Okay. He was a part of that incredible uh, 2003. Yeah, and I seem to recall like he was like one of the workhorse kind of guys, but I... I... Shoot. He was. He pitched uh, uh, over 100 innings, but two other pitchers on that staff not Eric Gagne. I'll give you another hint. They were, they, they did 80, 80 or more games. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, it's all, it's all been uh, this century. The other three. I'm giving myself just a little bit of time to, mm-hmm. to, to, you know, to think. Um, if you had to just, just off the top of your head, I say, 2007 Dodgers reliever who would you who would you say are we in like Brazabon area area at that time oh wait oh wait hold on no no it's a little bit after Brazabon okay um Hanji Kuo no he was he was never like durable enough I know you you, no I was answering your previous question on who if I just had to say a name uh so no, okay. I'm, ta- I'm, I'm tapping I'm out. Trying, I'm trying to steer you the answer. Okay, uh, um, let's see. Hung Chi Kuo's best season uh, was, uh, or the most innings he ever pitched was 80. That was in a, a year where he, he had 42 games. His high games was 56. Uh, okay, so the other uh, pitchers who threw in 80 games, Jonathan Broxton in 2007, 83 sure. games also. Tom Martin. The left-handed specialist on the 2003 Dodgers. Yeah, that, in that's kind of the area I was trying to enter into. I'm like, who was the loogie on that team? And I, I now that you say the name, absolutely. But yeah, I wasn't going to get to it. Yeah, that bullpen was ridiculous. Like that, they were so good. Um, and then the other player on that team did it actually two years in a row. Led the led the National League in games in both 2002 and 2003. Paul Quantrill. 86 I, I games and then 89 gosh, games. darn it. <laughs> Why didn't I yeah. go with him? I'm so upset with me myself now. Like, I literally yeah. mentioned him 20 minutes ago, and I just couldn't couldn't pull the trigger. Yeah, so that, yeah, there's my, my second hard Jacob trivia question. Uh, I'm sure I'll, I'm going to, uh, although I don't think Craig actually asked us trivia this time, so, uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, back to Bible for a second. The other thing was uh, notable uh, he was on the 2006 NLDS roster, but then had to be removed. Like um, uh, the Dodgers opened that series in New York, and they look everybody was angry about the the double play at home plate uh, play. But I think Joe Bimel took it one step further. He had a cut on his hand the day before Game One. He first said he injured himself in his hotel room. It was revealed two days later that he injured his hand in a bar in New York. Uh, I looked this up. So in the ESPN story on this, I think it was possibly the AP report. Um, uh, Bimel apologized to his teammates. J- Jason Repko, of all people, was on record in this. He said, he's going to pay for what he did, but I think it was good for uh, to be up front with us. Even though it was a little late, at least he said something. And this is just a reminder that Jason Repko was on the Dodgers playoff roster. Um and he appeared to one game as a pinch runner in game one in that series to give you an idea of what what kind of uh, what we were talking about with the Dodgers back then. Um, he uh, Joe Bimel also uh, went to arbitration with the Dodgers in 2008. 
Uh, this time they were uh, it was 2.15 million versus 1.7. This time they both both teams said we don't want to go to a hearing. They settled at exactly the midpoint. So Joe Bimel uh, didn't want to maybe didn't want to go through the process, or they just agreed to agree, and uh, that's it. So that was that's the last Dodgers arbitration hearing. It's very likely that they're going to have at least one, if not four, uh, this February. But that's uh, that's Joe Bimel. Okay, it's time for questions from Craig. Five questions, five and a half questions. He snuck a second one in, in the last question, mm-hmm. uh, but he, I, I, I'll let it, I'll let it pass. But the first question for both of us: pitchers and catchers are reporting in less than a month. Dodger Fan Fest is this Saturday, and the Dodgers could have their first arbitration hearing since 2007. With that, here are the questions. Justin Turner is the only Dodger who will be 35 during the 2020 season. Will there be any other player to join him on this season's roster? And if so, will he be a position player or a pitcher? Bonus for Jacob, do you keep track of baseball players older than you? You know, I hadn't, you know, had that sense of dread of my mortality, but now I do. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, and uh, so because Craig asked you that, I looked this up because I, I had always sort of forgotten just exactly who was the last, uh, like, the okay, so uh, Bartolo Colon still being active in 2018 uh, made there be made it so, and Ichiro too, made it so there were an uh, MLB player older than I am, which was great. And then Ichiro technically played in 2019. So, um, so there hasn't been a major league season with a player, uh, with no players older than me yet. But this season, it's looking like it's going to happen. And but from a Dodger standpoint, the last year that uh, there was a Dodger uh, older than me was uh, 2016 with Joel Peralta. That that uh, March, actually on my birthday, I believe, um, in spring training, J- uh, Jamie Wright was trying to make a comeback and he announced his retirement. He would have also been older. He was, he would have been the, the last Dodger. He was the last Dodger before Peralta who was older than me in 2014. And then before that it was Ted Lilly. So like I irrationally was rooting for those guys to stick around forever because uh, the, I didn't, I, I would, yeah, didn't want to like. How much older than Chase Utley are you? Uh, good question. I think, I believe he's a 1980 birthday, but I'm going to look it up. And I'm 78. 78. So. Oh yeah, so two years, two okay. years apart. So yeah, uh, depending on how I grow my beard out, I can also be the silver fox in a way. <laughs> so like, I'm sort of proud. Uh, but to Craig's question, will my my inclination on this will so like David the the Dodgers lost uh, Rich Hill, David Freeze, and um, man, I'm blanking on who their other old person was. I, I, had, I had this this last year. Um, oh yeah, uh, and Russell Martin were the were the three guys thirty six, thirty six, and thirty nine. Um, so like, I was looking at this like I don't think so. I don't think they're gonna like um, have a player thirty five or older. Just just looking at like the people available, it just doesn't seem like no free agents right now. Or I mean, there's a couple. I was trying to think of someone they might trade for, like a David Freeze type. Um, but I so I was looking at this list of like players in 2019 who were 34 or older, and I just sorted it by OPS plus in like 150 plate appearances or more. Like the the name that stands out to me as maybe the most likely is Matt Joyce. But he's a left-handed pitcher. I mean, excuse me, left-handed batter, um, who has like limited. He can't really play center field, and he's like not that good of a defender on the corners. So like, he really has to hit to have value. And given that the Dodgers have other like outfield options, I don't. That's a he's a free agent right now. Like that's that's a reach. I I do wonder about what the twenty-six man roster like. If there's going to be more likely to have like almost a straight pinch hitter person who doesn't necessarily have to have value. But I still think the Dodgers would want a guy with some defensive versatility and not being able to play center probably um, knocks him out of that. The the other on this list was like John Jay, who could potentially play like all three outfield positions, but like he he's been bad offensively for a while. And like at his best, he's like an on-base guy, 
but I think the the ship has sailed on that. He'll, and John Jay is going to be 35 this year too. So other than that, like it's it's really tough to see. Um, I could I could see kind of like a I'll, non-roster invitee pitcher making add, making a start. Older person. And I have an, I have a yeah. name in mind for for that position. I don't know; it would be mm-hmm. bittersweet for you. How about a little Edwin Jackson? Well, look, I'm on board. I know, well, no, you want him to go into another team. I'm aware. I think, but I a team he's never been the, on the before. The way the way I look at it, it every time Ed, Edwin Jackson is pitching in a major league game, he is auditioning himself for his next team. That's fair. That's so, fair. So, like any anything that keeps Edwin Jackson alive in the majors is fine by me. Second question. Will the 49ers score more points in the Super Bowl than the number of wins the Golden State Warriors will have at the end of the season? So, okay, let, let's just say I, I think that it's going to be the Niners because, like, the Warriors probably top out at, like, 25 wins probably. Steph is coming back, you know, that's, that's at fine. some point but, for, like, a month so, maybe. But I, but I think I think this is going to be like a fairly high scoring Super Bowl. I think it's reasonable to think the the Niners will score at least like twenty four points, right? And I think they have the potential to score like twenty eight and more. So I I would take the Niners um, just in general um, in this question. So I, yeah, I I'd go with the Niners. Pretty easy for me. Would you remove team officials from the video replay booth and have MLB personnel handle it from this point forward? Okay, so this gets back to the Astros punishment where, you know, it's they didn't punish any players. Like, how couldn't you punish any players? But the key to me going for is how MLB handles this going forward. And, like, uh, it's tough because, like, you have to come up with something now for, like, this year to make to make it where like uh, there's not like a question going into every game, like, Hey, is this team cheating? Right? Like that's a huge problem for the sport. So I think that the most extreme example of this, which I was sort of initially like in favor of, I think is just to make, make it where um, teams could challenge uh, for a replay, but they have to do it blind. Like they can't call to their video room and say, hey, what, what do we see on that play, right? Like, that's the general process now. You wait for a few seconds, and then they look and say, uh, you know, challenge it or don't challenge it. I think I think you – that's, like, the extreme example. However, I, I guess the solution, like a temporary – or maybe it's permanent, is to, to make sure there's always an MLB official in the video room, whether it's, like, a dedicated room in the home – side of the club uh, of the clubhouse or in some makeshift area where uh, on the visitor side where that team is the problem is it's not universal in every uh stadium like how it's set up but so i think as long as there's like an mlb official there to like monitor what's going in and out um you can probably keep the old replay system but yeah like um and and also they can they could probably in, uh, the MLB official will be able to enforce things like making sure that uh, all videos like into like the clubhouse or the areas around the clubhouse uh, or between the dugout of the clubhouse are like on delay, which is what's supposed to happen. It didn't happen with the Astros. So I don't know exactly how this gets policed, but I think that's, that's going to be how MLB handles this is like the issue they really have to deal with going forward to sort of regain that confidence back in like the actual competition itself. Are there any players besides Bonds, Clemens, and maybe Manny that you two saw play that are eligible and are not in the Hall of Fame but should be in the Hall of Fame? So I was thinking about this. Like the first player that came to mind, and I didn't really look this up, but – uh, I did now, but like it was Kenny Lofton. He was like the fact that he he got like a shamefully low amount of support. He was one and done on the on the Hall of Fame ballot, 2013, three point two percent. Like like it, no, almost no matter how you sliced it, like um, he was an excellent player. Like just I, I don't I don't necessarily agree that like let's just 
you know, make this a war leaderboard in the Hall of Fame. But he amassed uh, 68 war in his career. Like, that's huge. He stole 600 bases. Um, he was a preeminent, like, leadoff guy. He got on base. He had a reasonable amount of power. He hit triples more, more than, uh, you know, a little bit less than home runs. But, like, he was an impact player, like, defensively on the bases, hitting. Um, I think it, uh, Kenny Lofton, for me, like, definitely deserved a lot more consideration than he got. Like, I would vote for him. I think I ever will because he's no longer on the writer's ballot. But I think he's a guy, like, when he was playing, he was an absolute, like, star. Uh, he was in a lot of commercials, especially with, like, Nike and, like, um, you know, it was, like, him and Ken Griffey Jr. and, and some other players. So, like, uh, I think I think Kenny Lofton, for me, is the one that stood out. Um, other than that, I, off the top of my head that I watched play, oh, probably Fred McGriff. Um, I think, like, you know, he suffers from being, like, in the steroid era, but, like, I think a lot of his, like, he had some awesome years, like late 80s into the early 90s, where he was just really good. And, like, uh, I sort of wonder about, like, he just finished shy of 500 homers. I don't know if he necessarily would have got in if he got the seven more home runs that he needed. But it's just it's just one of those things. Like, I just I think he was excellent. Uh, so, like, that was a guy I thought was a Hall of Famer. Like, I could see the argument one way or the other with him, but, like, He's probably a guy I would I would uh, highly consider voting for too. Uh, the only couple of names that I'd throw out there, uh, I think Mark McGuire is a biased uh, for me because I was at the game. He hit the ball out of Dodger Stadium, so uh, you know, nice. outside of the sort of national moment, uh, that was always a special moment for me. And the name that of a player that I watched sort of uh, toward the tail end of his career, but always thought was like. Two players that were were like this: um, Lance Berkman. Uh, not, oh not, yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the numbers. He doesn't for the Hall of Fame, but he was one of those players that, as I was watching, I always thought this guy for that three or four year period is one of the two or three best hitters in baseball, but um, just never got that sort of reputation. And later became kind of a gentleman. I'm not rooting for exactly, so not heartbroken there. But Scott Rowland is the other name that I've always thought like deserved. Just maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm not necessarily he for sure is should be a Hall of Famer, but should get a, a little bit more talk than maybe he normally would. Yeah, I think yeah he's definitely there. Like so right now, like um, as we're recording this, the Hall of Fame announcements coming out um, Tuesday. Uh, this will be out. I imagine uh, just after that, uh, Derek Jeter's going to get elected, and it's just it's going to be close whether Larry Walker and maybe Kurt Schilling is like they're those are the two are like closest to getting in. I don't think either one gets in, but it'll be close. Uh, but Scott Rowland uh, is on his third year in the ballot, and he's the biggest gainer so far this year. He's uh, using the tracker from um, Ryan Thibodeau on on Twitter, and um, he has a few other people like sort of um, helping him compile all the ballots that writers publicly reveal. Um, so through 198 uh, ballots that are known, a little less than probably half of what the total vote's going to be, uh, Roland's at 50%. So that's something to like build on in future years. So like he's plus 49 uh, votes over last year, uh, given like writers that have like changed their mind on him. Um, so I think if he sort of continues that support, he'll eventually get in. So I'm in. I'm, this is my going to be my um, fifth year, I believe, in the BBWAA. So, like, it's it's going to be a close call, but, like, there's a very slight chance that Roland could still be on the ballot by the time I would potentially get a Hall of Fame vote. So maybe I do get to vote for Scott Roland, and I, th- and I think I would. That's exciting. Yeah. The final question and a half. Food. Jacob, which barbecue meats should you have at your Super Bowl party, given that Kansas City is playing? And Eric, besides your stuffed mushrooms, what other appetizers are great on the table? I'm going to let you go first. Okay, so the <laughs> Craig listed three examples, but the first one was deviled eggs. Hell no. Uh, <laughs> I hate deviled eggs with a passion. Uh, they're the worst. They are, yeah. So I don't, like, stuffed mushrooms are a go-to. Buffalo wings are, are great. Um I pretty simple, like a chip and a dip, a spinach dip. He listed two seven layer dip. Those are all wonderful. 
those are like the sort of go-to for me, like on a, uh, on a Super Bowl Sunday, like uh, I believe I am not going to uh, the SB Nation home office, but a bunch of our football people are, and I think the social team is as well. And I believe they, they're going to order a crap load of Popeye's and go to town on that. So like that, that's also good. Like something like that, a pizza, obviously it, it is, is good. And depending on the party, like multiple pizzas, obviously, but yeah. So, um, uh, if I had to pick one, it, it's probably Buffalo wings. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think? So I'll represent the Kansas city side as you know, the, the, the town, it is really strange to me that as a Dodger fan that I'm going to see, the potentially Kansas City get two different kinds of championships before I see World Series win um, in my lifetime versus the seven years I've been here. Uh, but this town is fired up. They're very excited. It's an excite not only one, they're in the Super Bowl. It's a very exciting team to watch. Uh, I actually have watched a f- few uh, full football games this playoffs, which is kind of unusual for me. Mm-hmm. But on the food. So the the... Kansas City is sort of interesting um, in the barbecue world in that, one, it is the best barbecue, but two, it doesn't actually have, like, a particular style. It's kind of a mishmash of all—basically, we've stolen from the rest of the regions of the country and have made the best versions of any particular thing. Um, But that said, I think Kansas City gets associated with—correctly, with two kind of caveats or wrinkles— uh, we're definitely known for the sort of standard barbecue sauce, that ketchup-based kind of molasses-y um, barbecue sauce. And um, on top of that is the dish burnt ends, which are the mm. um, charred ends of uh, a smoked brisket. Excellent. That said, uh, it is difficult to make burnt ends um, the right way. And so if you want, the best barbecue, in my mind, in Kansas City is Joe's Kansas City Barbecue, and they will deliver uh, mm-hmm. They will deliver you front ends. They'll deliver you ribs. And if you want to be like uh, Paul Rudd does this for his fantasy football uh, league, I think every year, uh, they ship their very famous, world-famous Z-Man sandwich in a kit. Uh, ah. They'll ship it right to you. So that's that's the way I would go. Um, that may end up being a little pricey. So if you wanted to just kind of do your own barbecue meats but still have something authentic, Definitely get some Joe's Kansas City barbecue sauce at your Super Bowl party. We'd like to thank our sponsor this week, uh, Joe's Kansas <laughs> City barbecue. Man, they should. Uh, I have sent a lot of people that way, but the, granted, I, so have a lot of I, other people. I think so too. They should. They, I, I agree with you 100%. We should both get burn ins and their Z Man sandwich. Send it our way. Come on, Joe's. Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking too. I'm a like, mile away, so I'm going to probably be having some. But You could, in a weird twist, also. You could be in Kansas City to see um, a San Francisco team beat Kansas City for a championship twice. <laughs> it, it comes to Either way, it's going to be a very odd uh, situation. But we'll talk about that next time because when we record again, the Super Bowl will have been played. And we will know which of Joe Montana's former teams uh, is the new champion. But we'll probably have some baseball stuff to talk about too. So thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you in two weeks.